Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for February 7th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And this week we will talk about the great Eric Carlson and how perhaps maybe incredibly enough he's being kind of underrated this year by some despite having uh, one of the best defensive player seasons going in the modern era. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the, the fallout from the Dennis Weidman hit and what some of the ramifications are and how they handle that. We will talk about the duo in Pittsburgh that is scoring points on a nightly basis, most times multiple points with Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang, and, you know, whatever else we get to. So uh, to start things off, we will lead with Eric Carlson. Uh, the best defenseman in the NHL. I don't think there's really wiggle room for debate on that, and we'll go through some reasons on why we believe that. So, uh, You'll find some people will think there's wiggle room on it because he's, I'm putting inverted commas here as I say it, bad or weak in his own defensive zone, and isn't the idea of a defender to keep the puck out of the net? Yeah. I'd argue all five guys in front of the goalie, that's their job. But people are so caught up in what they feel, uh, what defense actually is from years past, and they misconstrue it to, me, to having it mean only engaging in vicious physical battles or, you know, actually, you know, engaging all over the defensive zone and, and not so much, hey, I guess he just has the puck all the time. That, that the, seems the a lot better. That, <laughs> if you've got the puck all the time, the other team have it. But that's the fundamental flaw I find in that entire argument with defensemen on any team. Oh, he's great when he's got the puck, but when he doesn't have it, he's bad. If you've got the puck as often as Eric Carlson does, then he doesn't have to worry about what he does in the defensive zone, even if he is bad, which I don't think he's as bad as he gets uh, called out to be. Even if he is bad, it doesn't matter. It's it's in the other end, two out of three times. Like I just, it just baffles me that whole concept. No, he's not bad at it, and that's like the frustrating part. People think he's not throwing booming hits and that kind of stuff, and they're just like, well, he... they figure he's got to have some flaw in his game, and yeah. I just don't, I don't see yeah. it. He, um, he's remarkable. I guess the other thing that bothers me with criticism of him as a player is the whole penalty killing thing. And somehow he's not a well-rounded defenseman because he doesn't put in a lot of penalty killing minutes. And you look around the league and, you know, the assumption is, oh, well, if you're a great defenseman, you'll be killing penalties too. And I guess my response to that is that Eric Carlson's so damn valuable at even strength and, of course, on the power play, he leads the NHL in time on ice at about 29 minutes per game. So they're wanting him to play 30, 31, 32 minutes a game if you're going to have to play him on the penalty kill. Well, not even that. How about using his 29 minutes wisely where he can make a bigger impact? Because the whole penalty killing thing, I mean, we watch some of the worst players in the league get cracks at it and do okay, so... If bad players can do okay in that role, why would you waste Carlson's minute in, in a role that can be done by pretty much anybody? 
the way they use Carson, I wouldn't even think they try and replace some of his even strength minutes with penalty kill minutes. They would just add it on top of. That's why I said, you know, what, 31, 30, like, what, how much more do you want out of Carlson? Like, how much more do you want out of him before you get there and you destroy that asset, before he burns out? If he's already complaining about playing too many games in OT because it's just too much hard work, you don't think that the minutes leader in the league would know something about being burnt out? So why put him in a situation that would be the least effective of all the skill sets that he's got? And um, courtesy of Mr. Travis Yost threw out a nice little tweet about Eric Carlson's penalty-killing prowess. Uh, last night, and in the last four years, defensemen who have killed at least 200 minutes, he ranks fifth out of 157 in their course he against per 60. So he's actually good at it. They're just choosing to use other people to give them minutes as opposed because nobody's getting minutes because Carlson plays half the game anyways. Uh, I, just, I don't know. I don't know where else they're going to utilize him on the ice if you I think your thought process was right. If you only go, if you get there and say, oh, we're only going to play in 29 minutes a game, well, that not time, only, it's the most in the league. <laughs> I, know, I say only because you're not going to add more minutes on top of that. It's like if he's playing 29 minutes a game and you go, we've got to use him on the penalty kill, well, that has to come out of his even strength time. You're not going to add to 31, 32 minutes of ice time per game if you put him on the penalty kill. So... As much as sometimes the, the Ottawa coaching staff do cop a hiding for their player usage, they've at least understood that you, you we're better off having Carlson out there at even strength and on the power play than we are on the penalty kill. So don't just don't use him in, in that situation. And you know that's one thumbs up, I suppose you can give the coaching staff. I mean, if it's late in the game and it's a one goal game and stuff like that, yeah, throw him out there. He'll do just fine. It's, you know, I referenced that stat: fifth out of 157. And people think he can't do it. And the other thing, it's like he does all these great things on the ice with high-end skill, and we're supposed to assume that the penalty-killing skill set is the one that's eluded him. Yeah, that's the one that that's the one that stops him from being elite. That like um, he can't do those things. <laughs> it's so laughable. Of all the things that he provides to that team, you get there and go. Oh, Say he was bad at being a penalty killer. It's like, who gives a toss? Everything else he provides is worth every dollar that Ottawa pay that man. In fact, he's cheap at what they're paying him. And I, I, I think that is lost sometimes when people see him make errors and they go, oh, my God, that was such a blunder. It's usually because the puck's on his stick every single transition that Ottawa go through. Yeah, definitely, and I, I did because Ottawa played Pittsburgh earlier. Yeah. Um, right after the All-Star break, so I, I looked into some Carlson stuff. When Carlson's on the ice at even strength, uh, Ottawa carries 52% of the play in shot attempts. And when he's on the bench, it is 43.2%. Sorry, say that again? They're just the two numbers. 52% and then 43.2% when he's on the bench. If you can't see the value in that as a defender, then you're just looking for holes in a player's game, really, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, that's... I don't 
think we need to that's pretty crazy difference yeah that's that's ridiculous and when i was looking at his um score adjusted fenwick it was only 50.1 percent and i was kind of a little bit taken aback by i'm like wow that's that's really kind of lower than i thought he'd be and um then I looked at the relative, obviously, to his teammates, and it was eight point, positive 8.2% more than anybody else. So so just imagine where that Ottawa team would be if he had the injury history that Chris Letang had. Well, he did have that horrible Achilles injury. The Matt Cook injury? Yes. The forensic <coughs> Sorry. injury. Sorry. I, I laugh at that every time. Um but he's he's been relatively healthy since that though, hasn't he? I, I believe so. Yeah, so they've not he's not had that issue with Latang where he's been in and out of a lineup, in and out of a lineup, which quite honestly really does throw a team that relies so heavily on one individual player on the back end to do basically everything for that club. So Ottawa are very lucky that he's been extremely durable when you think about it because of the amount of minutes he logs and the amount of physical attention he gets every game from four checkers and everyone just trying to run him. And then we haven't even talked about some of his best stuff, his offensive production. Points per 60 this year at even strength, 1.8. That is... Uh, Second line level forward stuff, which is I was going to say, isn't that top line level forward gear? It's, no, it's, it's getting close to a first line forward, which is <laughs> incredible. He's he's on pace to have um, ninety one points this year. The Art Ross winner did not have ninety one points last year. I really hope he gets. I really hope he gets at least eighty two points in the year. And if he's on pace for ninety one. He should top a point per game, which would be awesome. Well, if he keeps playing, he will. And um, he's currently tied for second overall in points in the NHL with 59. He did just have a five point, a four point night, didn't he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh... I think when people start discussing the Norris Trophy, they should just save their breath. And quite frankly. He's probably my front runner for the heart. I'm yeah. I, I think we might have discussed this occasionally. If you give him the the Norris, I think you have to give him the heart as well. But don't Ottawa have to make the playoffs for him to actually get the heart? I don't think there's anything written about that. No, I'm pretty sure there's nothing written. I know. I, I know how it goes. But you're talking. <laughs> you're talking about an all-time season for a defenseman yeah no it's brilliant and Patrick Kane's been really good obviously yep but I just think what Eric Carlson's doing on an island if you're gonna if you're gonna view it through the scope of most valuable to their team then you know Eric Carlson well, fits that bill isn't that, isn't that how the award's written most valuable to their team's performance. And if that's the case, then Carlson wins it hands down. No Carlson, no Ottawa. I mean, I don't think too many people are going to take Kane over Taves, regardless of the point lead. Right? 
Right. Yeah, well, that's that's true. Look, it's the Crosby Malkin argument you get when both those players are healthy and flying. Who's more important to their team? And in the end, you could say they kind of steal votes from each other in that context. Carlson is, as you said, on an island. He's got a couple of players that are good, who are having sort of up and downish years, but Carlson is consistently awesome. Has been for a while, and this year he's really taken it to the next level. Um, Ninety-one points—that would be—that'd be amazing. It'd be awesome. So, in, in a in a league where scoring is down across the league, there are a few really bright, shining lights of offensive production, and it's really nice to see. So you you brought up Sid. Shall we transition to him? Yeah, we'll crunch the gears across and go and talk about the dynamic duo that does not include Malkin. No, Malkin is uh, currently nursing a, what I hope is a minor injury. I think it stems from before the All-Star break, uh, that Boone-Jenner collision. The knee-to-knee kind of... uh, So it's that May or or may not have been intentional. I mean, only he knows Jenner, that is. So um, apparently it acted up in practice, so... Right now, Pittsburgh, without Malkin, without Benino, without Fair, have center depth that looks like Porter, Sunquist, and... Matty Cullen! Cullen. Pat, uh, outside of Crosby, so... And, <laughs> and, and last night, they're down 2 nothing with five minutes left against the Florida Panthers, who are who have won six straight, and I believe 17 straight with Ekblad in the lineup. Yeah. Look, it looked a little bit it looked a little bit cheap mode computer game-ish there. The last sort of six minutes, Crosby and, and Latang just sort of kind of took over a little bit. Um, and I've not... I've <laughs> I don't know not, about a little bit. <laughs> I've just... Sorry, I may have understated a little bit, but that's the most outright... Take over a game show I've seen Crosby be in quite some time, where he just put everything up on his shoulders and just carried them and just said, right, we're not going to lose this game. We just can't afford to. Uh, he's lucky enough that he has a couple of talented players around to finish the work that he does. I Latang with the the first slap shot and then the game winner in overtime. Um, but before we sort of uh, you know, glow about those two some more. I will give the Penguins role players credit. They didn't die in the ass, as in they held the shift afloat long enough for Crosby and Latang to at least get it to shore. So they're not a total tire fire, even though they technically should be. No, they're staying afloat. They're buying time for the good players to make good plays. And, and they couldn't get that last year. They could not get that last year. And that's I think that's the difference between this year and last year's bottom six depth. And that's including the way the depth is right now. It can at least stay afloat. And that's I, I don't think that can be undersold enough in the context of what where the expectations are of what Crosby and Malkin have done with their Stanley Cup careers and what other teams have done with their Stanley Cup careers it's that it's that bottom half of the roster that wins you the cup not the top half the top half are always going to give you excellent output it's the bottom half of the rosters that make a difference and what we saw against Florida is a prime example of that 
And just to recap those last five minutes, down to nothing. Latang goal, Crosby primary assist. Uh, you get down with the goalie pulled in the last minute and a half or so. Crosby goal, Latang primary assist. And then you get to three on three overtime. They draw a penalty eight seconds into it. And you get down low to Sid, down low on a power play, go figure. Makes a play, Sid primary assist, Latang goal. <laughs> so, Latang drew the penalty as well. That's that's the other thing. Latang skating forced Jokinen to take the hook anyway. So that was an incredible stretch of, you know, seven minutes or so, where uh, two players that are among the best at their position decided, "Hey, uh, we got this," and stole two points from a very good Florida team. I thought. Hey, that came. They came away from those two road games down there with two points out of four, and I literally thought after the Tampa game they were going to come away zip. I had an internal over-under of 1.5, and so they got the over. <laughs> I thought they'd get it like an overtime That's loss good, right? for the whole weekend, which they, I, I suppose they almost did do that. Yeah, true. So, true. Sid, I mean... He has 16 goals in his last 18 games. <laughs> he has tied a career high in scoring six consecutive games. So I guess you could argue he's he's kind of on fire. Why would you... Why, it, it feels a little bit like NBA Jam. And then um, he's got 40 points, 20 goals in his past 32 games. And I think the big change for him is he's he's shooting a lot more under Sullivan. He is, but he's also playing a lot more with Latang as well. What's that? He's playing a lot more with Latang as well. His time on ice with Latang is is higher than it was. Mike Johnson didn't trust his team that much, that he tried to spread the wealth everywhere. And and I remember at the start of the year, you and I were discussing um, with Latang and Marta, split them up, spread the wealth, um, you know, try, try to make sure that the, the bottom end of the roster is not so bad by sprinkling it with some quality. Um, in the end, I, I think it became quite clear that just play your best players with your best and trust the fact that the bottom half of your roster is not as bad as it has been in the past. And, that's kind of what Mike Sullivan's done. I mean, he's he's playing daily with Dumoulin a hell of a lot more. Um, he's using Lovejoy as the babysitter for, for Pouliot. Um, and he does get very situational with his back six. But he's trying to put Latang out there with Crosby and, and Malcolm as often as he can. And at the moment, that's really easy to do because there's just Crosby. So they are literally almost out there the, the same over and over. Yeah, since the coaching change, um, it's been remarkable for for Sid. He was sitting at about 2.0 points per 60, but for all situations, so that's not just even strength, and that's that's kind of lower than where he usually is for even strength alone. But since the coaching change, and this is before last night's uh, three-point, he's at 3.9 points per 60, which is better than what Patrick Kane is putting up there. 
in that time period. Patrick Kane's at 3.7, so he's outpacing the Art Ross guy. <laughs> and Chris Letang, we, we, I mean, we just talked a bunch about Eric Carlson, and I'm not throwing Letang in, into his stratosphere, but as far as points are concerned, um, and Letang's last, well, I guess it would be 29 games now, he has 33 points. Jesus. That's that's terrific. And he's got multiple yeah. points in 11 of his last 23 games. 11 of his last The thing that I find amazing with Tang is that, oh, I'm going to jinx this when I say this, but he, it feels like he's about to come up to a point where something's going to go wrong. Because like every time he starts to sort of do something like this, something just goes awry. So I hope I'm wrong. He certainly has that potential because you know the injury stuff. That's for sure. Can't yeah. be can't be really ignored. Unfortunately, I mean, no, he's one no, one exactly. head contact thing away from being out a while. Mm-hmm. Which is very, very sad. And he seems to take one where you're like, geez, every game. I know, it's funny. I remember, I, I'm pretty sure I, I, I remember Rutherford coming out and saying, look, Latang's got to learn to be better at putting himself in bad situations. And I, I can't remember whether I actually said it on the podcast or not, but I thought, geez, you can't ask a player to change who he is. Maybe he has... Maybe there is just cause for him working out how to get his head knocked off. Because it, it happens once again, which is once again too frequently. Yeah. It's tough to tell a player to change when they're that dynamic and that skating is so great and you, you trust your ability, which he should, but it's mm. also high risk, high reward, and the high risk part has gotten him hurt quite a bit extremely aside <laughs> from like stroke related things as crazy as it is to think an athlete of his caliber went through that well yeah but Latang had a slow start they put him with uh ian cole to start the year that that did that did not work and and like you said we, we thought spreading the wealth of the d-men uh would would be the answer there and and Mata didn't do well holding his own and Latang didn't do well with Cole and then Dumoulin and Lovejoy end up being your best pairing which you know it's that's 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 not what you want when you have a Chris Latang and Ali Mata on the team now Brian Dumoulin actually <laughs> go figure uh he on my Twitter feed he just got re-signed for two more years Dumoulin. Oh, really? So, <laughs> there you go. Uh, Dumoulin's been great. What a what a tremendous uh, arc his career has taken in the last year or so from kind of trying to prove himself in the AHL and then working his way to the NHL level and then becoming an impact, positive possession, uh, part of the solution on Pittsburgh's just, defense just... core. Just quickly, there was Harrington and Dumoulin basically came through development the same pace through the, the Penguin system. 
they get to that Phil Kessel trade, and both of those players played in the playoff series a little bit at the end of last year. They could have got that really, really wrong and given up Dumoulin. So credit where credit's due to a front office that I'm very happy to bag out. They kept the right one. Oh, yes. They did indeed. You're right. That that could have been not a great... Uh... Not a great move. Because you, you think about it, they, that that would have that would have been the discussion in the in the Penguins general manager's office. Which one of these two guys do we add to the Kessel deal? Which one do we think is going to going to be what we want? And the other one, we can take the risk on trading them away. And that made the trade a lot more palatable for me. As much as we bag out, um, the fact that they kept him in and, and got rid of Harrington is a great sign. Yeah, so two years, I'd, I think eight hundred thousand per per year. It's nice and cheap. Uh, the deal runs through. It's a two-year contract. I don't think they got their years right on their official release, but it says average annual value of eight hundred k. So that's that's a that's a steal for that production. It is. Hey, what do what do we always say? ELCs are restricted free agents. You got to play them, and you got to take advantage of them while they're cheap. You certainly do. And that's the other thing. They're actually playing their other ELC guy, and um, even though he was a big part in that shorthanded goal being scored against, I like the fact that he stayed aggressive and tried to keep the puck in the zone, and didn't wuss out and and go soft and pull back. Cost him a goal against, but at least he stayed aggressive on the play. Pouliot? Yeah. Oh, I thought Kunitz put him in a bad spot. I oh, did. Don't get me wrong, and he had a choice to make. Be aggressive and try and keep the zone, or back up. And he didn't back up, and I'd much prefer to see uh, a highly skilled player be aggressive towards the puck than, than not. Yeah, I, so, I agreed, but I'm, when I watch that play, I'm like, all right, Kunitz, you, you, you can't do that there. Correct. No, no, that, and yeah, that's the thing. Like, you get there and try and hang it on the kid, but the kid did everything I would have wanted him to do. <laughs> He's, um, Pouliot has been pretty, pretty, pretty good. To borrow Larry Davis' phrase. He, um, has been bottom pairing, <laughs> sheltered, uh, but doing fine. And that's really all you want to ask of that player in that situation. Boy, I hope he really learned his lesson down in the margins. You look at where Dumoulin's gone from from the start of the year to now, right? And he's had 40-odd games to get to that point. Well, actually, 51 games to get to this point. They're asking Pouliot to make that same learning curve in 38 games or something. Well. Do you just see the ridiculousness in what happens if he fails? He's played five games. Yeah. And he's been good. Don't score, get me wrong. Score adjusted Fenwick of sixty six point five in sheltered minutes, and, That's he's, the and he's added two assists. And he, I would argue, has. You just referenced him on the power play, but I don't think he's had a ton of power play time. Oh, he's not. He's he's had very limited second unit time, which is what you would expect with Latang actually playing well at the moment I, in that position. I see him in those first few games, really 
mentally adjusting from AHL to NHL speed. Yep. And at times, he found himself in situations where he was just kind of rushing to just chip the puck forward because things were coming quick and he just wanted it off his stick and not turn it over. And now you're you're starting to see more of those controlled uh, entries with, with passes to the forwards that he's going to be very good at because that's his skill set. And it's been very helpful. Obviously, if you're pushing possession 66%, that's good. Even in a small sample, that's, that's clearly going to come down. But, you know, he's playing a sheltered role, and he's doing what's asked asked of him in that sheltered role right now. I, I may <clears throat> bitch and moan about the fact I don't think they've put him in a particularly great position to succeed over the length of the rest of the year. But individually, game by game, they certainly are giving him that chance to succeed. They're not trying to put him out there in environments with players that are going to school him. They are sheltering the hell out of him minutes-wise. And as much as I might bag out on Lovejoy, Cam Fowler improved with Lovejoy as his partner. Brian Dumoulin has improved with Lovejoy as his partner. There's nothing to say that that won't carry on again with Pouliot as well. So... He has his he has his flaws, Lovejoy, but he seems to be a calming influence for whoever his partner is out there that's like twelve years old. So, if Lovejoy is being put in a sheltered bottom pairing role, he's fine. Asking him to be the shutdown pair, I, I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not yeah, that's not fair to him. No, and that's the problem he's got is that the guy he got traded for could do that. So, I think I said from the beginning of the year, if Pittsburgh plans on going anywhere, they need Derek Pouliot to be in the NHL lineup. He's thus far. He's there now. Brian Dumoulin is playing much better than anybody could have anticipated. Chris Letang is on fire. If Ali Mata can kind of get going a little bit here, too. uh, Their defense core, which had a plethora of question marks, is now Rob Scuderi-less. (laughs) <laughs> and Trevor Daly is what he is, but he's if he's going to be kind of not a great possession player, at least mix in some offense, and, and clearly he does that. So when you're talking about having Rob Scuderi versus Trevor Daly, get out of here. Well, Joel Quinville did. He got right <laughs> out of there. Yeah, I th- that that wasn't that wasn't a roster move as much as it was a cap move. Um, it's it's funny the thing with the thing that I, I find interesting with Oli Marta is that I legitimately think he's going to end up like Paul Martin. He's going to be one of those players that is a ridiculously good complementary player to a, a player that is. Uh, highly skilled and highly athletic and just uses their cerebral um, skills to fill in the holes and cover up and just do the little tiny things that make that other player better. I think that's one of the reasons why Latang's been better and I think that Marta has been better whilst he's been with Latang, even if the last couple of weeks he's had a bit of a rough patch. I think that's where he'll end up with the way he plays his game. That's not a bad thing. No, I think uh, to the Paul Martin comparison, I think, yeah, because Ali's not a terrific skater. He's going to have to do it cerebral. And 
I would argue this. Ali Mata's shot is way better than Paul Martin, so he's just going to generate more offense based on that shot alone, I think. That's a bonus. I mean, Paul, <laughs> Paul for all his great things, didn't really rip the puck all that well. And I no, have a feeling if he did, did, he would have been a $7 million defenseman. Probably. So it's sort of it's one of those things where Martin has been so up and down this year, but from where he was before the Niederreiter hit to where he was after the Niederreiter hit, um, he's come along in leaps and bounds from that point. And there was a stage there just before the All Star game where it looked like he was skating in quicksand, like he just didn't want to get his skating straight out. So I don't know whether he's carrying something as well, and he might need uh, a rest. Yeah, who was that uh, uh, Vancouver player that just burned him? Oh, but, but, but it wasn't just that, though. Like, um, that entire game, he looked like he was in quicksand. Like he, and he, he already has an interesting-looking skating stride, but he was really vertical all game and didn't want to lengthen out his stride at all through the entire game. So the fact that he got through that game with being burnt ridiculously just the once... Um, it's probably a testament to how well his brain works and cutting off his angles and, and getting his gap control right. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Because if, if Marta goes down, then guess who comes into the lineup? Yeah, Ian, Ian Cole, who was okay last year towards the end. And, um, you know, not you so good this finger, year. Can you point your finger at what happened? Like, I... I don't get it. I don't see where it all sort of fell apart in him. Like, it's just like he had to play against top line, top quality opposition, and then could never get his confidence back when he got a chance to play against opposition that was probably more his level. Yeah, perhaps he's kind of in that Lovejoy boat where got to give him those bottom pairing minutes and not expect much more than that because he was playing with Skidari last year and they had okay numbers, but they weren't playing him like. When they had their full lineup in, they weren't using that as one of their top four pairings. No, you, that's you still exactly had Erhoff and Martin, Latang, and yeah, you know, weird. I mean, at least they're making the correct call. They're not not playing Pouliot. Correct. I'll, they I'll, I'll they've made their that. choice and said, you know what, you yep. you're not playing well enough, and you're not going to play, and that's. I think he's deserved that. I mean, he tanked Latang. How do you not? Latang is not that hard to play with. I wouldn't have thought so. But he found a way to drag both of them down, and and some of that may have been that the the Johnston thing, the style of play, and all that stuff. But that's, you know, the Johnston thing is gone, and. You got a new coach, new pairings, new way of doing things. So far, so good for for the Penguins. I guess we won't take too long to cover this, but the Sergei Plotnikov thing, it's not like some hill I'm willing to die on because he's he's a marginal player. He's not a it's not an impact player. But it's just confusing how he can't get in over the endless rotation of AHL players right now. 
because possession-wise, he, he was fine. He was good. He was above average on a team that wasn't doing very good. And, uh, you know, you keep putting out the Kevin Porters of the world. And the, the knock against Sergei Plotnikov right now is that his offensive production was nothing. And that is a valid, very valid criticism of him. He, he did not make the most of his opportunities from an offensive standpoint. But, I mean, Kevin Porter's not done nothing. Kuhn Hockle hasn't oh, done nothing from an offensive standpoint. It's, it's funny how it works, isn't it? Like... Players get in coaches' doghouses and, and players get really long rope from certain coaches and obviously there's some familiarity and um, acceptance of what Porter brings that, that Sullivan likes. I don't – I personally don't don't see it. Um, at the moment, it could be the fact that there's literally no centre in the goddamn lineup, and Plotnikov is not a centre. Um that would be my only sort of saving grace for, for Sullivan's decision with that one now. But you get there and you say it's not a hill you want to die on, right? I still say that who's who's more likely to help you keep the boat afloat, Plotnikov or Porter? And I suppose if the coaching staff can come up with enough reasons to say that Porter will, will keep us afloat until the superstars take over, then I get why they put him in, but I, I can't see it myself. I can't see anything that he brings that Plotnikov wasn't bringing anyway and having to puck up the other end of the other, other end of the rink anyway because Porter spends a lot of time in his own zone. Yeah, I did players that have forwards that have played 20 games for Pittsburgh this year, he's dead last in possession, so we can't that pretend what? like that's going for him. He's not producing offense. Well, you know what it is. What does he quote unquote do? That oh yeah I know he kills he kills penalties. I don't know how many times you, uh, anybody can do it. So if that's your I, justification for keeping a guy in the lineup, find find a better even strength player and just say, hey, can you kill penalties? Okay, go do it. And you'll probably not see much difference in the penalty kill, but you will see a difference at even strength, and even strength, because the NHL doesn't call that many penalties, is predominantly what your area of focus should always be anyways. Jeez, that sounds like a horse we've beaten a couple of times, that one. But, you know, I had to say my, my two cents on that, because Kevin Porter is tracking statistically worse than the 2014-15 version of Craig Adams. Just to give Who everybody confidence. hated. I suppose at least Porter's not getting his jaw broken by Evgeny Malkin, so there's that. <laughs> okay, move, moving on. Um, do we want to discuss the tire fire that is the Montreal Hararians? Yeah, what a fall from grace. Do you know, do you know what I find... I suppose amusing or or funny is that they're like the antithesis. They're the, the complete opposite of what the fancy stats people want to have happen. They are better with their possession this year, but they're losing games. But there's a really big reason why they're losing games. Would you like to highlight it? Yeah, they have the worst goaltending in the NHL. There you go, people. You can't win Simpsons. with it, and 
people will say, oh, you shouldn't build your team around Carey Price. And I don't think they have. I think Carey Price is a huge part of the puzzle if they're to win a championship. But the idea that they're somehow their team is fallen apart because Carey Price is out, I think is too strongly worded. Carey Price being out has opened the door for these other goaltenders to play like complete garbage. But I would argue it's almost it's almost as hard to get goaltenders to play as bad as they are in Montreal right now as it is to get Carey Price to play and find a goalie to play as well as Carey Price did last year. Like so many goalies are in this middle ground, and Bergevin unfortunately for his team, has not found any of those guys that are floating all around the league to, to hold the fort down when Carey Price is out. They're, they're 30th. I don't even think their even strength save percentage during this time frame is 900. I think it's in the eights. So, hey, didn't that happen to like Minnesota last year? Didn't, didn't finding a goaltender save their season? Yes, but they made that move early. Early no, on. No. And this is the problem you've got with Montreal now is that their goaltending savior might not even get back on the ice this year. I don't care what they're trying to tell us. He does not look ready to skate with pads on and have pucks shot at him. Not in the slightest. But even like, hey, Flyers, what do you want for Michael Neuverth? You know what I mean? Like a, a yeah. player like that. And, and they're probably not... All the problems are not solved because I'm sure there's a toxic environment building up because you lose that many games in that time period. There has to be some discontent from everybody involved, players, coaches, management. You just don't like to lose, so of course. And they were like, yeah, the temperature in that room would have changed so drastically. So you get a Neuverth just for a, you know, a specific example. And they're not losing this many games because they're not playing like this awful brand. Like they're not the Buffalo Sabres circuit, not 2014, 2015. No, not at all. And like no. you referenced, they're they're a better possession team. They're a better team than they were last year. If they could have combined, if if Carey Price didn't go down, this is a non-issue. But Mike Condon is is that the backup? That, one of, one of, and then Scrivens, <laughs> and then none of these guys have given them anything worth a damn. So, you know, you know what the problem was at the start of the year when they kept winning all those games when Price was out? It got, I think the fact that Montreal had improved as a possession team, right, hid the fact that Mike Condon wasn't up to the task because he wasn't having to face the quality of shots that he's probably having to face now as the team's confidence in themselves starts to wane, if you get what I mean. So that false sense of security in, in looking at what Condon could produce probably left Bergevin to worry about other things. Do you know what I mean? And then he obviously made the panic move going, we'll grab, we'll grab Scrivens. So it can be tough to evaluate what goes on in between the pipes because you've said it numerous occasions. They're hard to evaluate. They're hard to work out what's good and what's bad until it's too late. Well, now you got writers in the Montreal area that talking about trading Subban and Petret. Like, it's their. Like, talk about a complete. Like, I can't grasp why things happen in the NHL, but I'm somehow paid to write about it. 
Yes, trading your best players is usually the correct answer. I mean, how I many times have comes... we gone through this with Pittsburgh and Malkin? I suppose it comes down to the market, though. I mean, they just they write what the market wants to read so they can talk about it. I don't think that's great sports writing, and I don't think that helps improve anything in, in well, one, in that market, and two, in the sport in general. But it's lazy, and it, it gets people to read their stuff, and it, it's just something that people can throw around. It would be great if they actually took a bit of a harder look at the team and go, well, this entire part of the team that was bad last year is good this year. Where's the part that's falling out? The fact that price isn't there. How about we try and find something that's better than below AHL-level goaltending? That's that's where the problem is. Yeah, and I don't think it gets fixed this year. I think they've fallen too far behind. They're at 54 yeah. points. The, the lowest wild card team is New Jersey at 59 points. Uh, they're not in the division for them. Detroit's at 60 points with 52 games played, so they have a game in hand on Montreal and uh, six more points. And you look at Boston, they're at 62. They have game a game in hand. Lightning have picked it back up again. They're in second place in the, the Atlantic. They have two games in hand at 62 points. I think they've wait, I think they waited too long that where whereas Minnesota identified this issue and traded for Dubnik, and they could not have predicted Dubnik being super ridiculous, but I'm sure they predicted, hey, let's not be the worst at this. <laughs> Well, they went for what you're after, competent league average goaltending. That's what they wanted. And then they, they got just, lucky, which is fine. They, and then and then they overpaid for it. But, yeah, they got lucky. So Montreal may have waited too long to identify what's really going on here. I, I also think that, you know, Tarion, they could be even better without him. So basically this is a deliberate tank to fight Tarion at the end of the year. Uh, I'm not in that room. I can't. Uh, I don't. I, I don't like saying those things. I don't think professionals, in, except in the rarest of circumstances, would do such a thing. Um, but Tarion, I cannot place the tweet I saw from who, but they did a study on coaches being fired and the 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 jump that teams get possession wise after the the firing. Yep. And like Tarion was littered in that top five of he got canned and the team improved the most. Like multiple firings of his saw the greatest increase after he was gone. It just it just feels like what he likes on the ice just drags everyone down and then the general manager eventually sees that the players are toast. There's only one direction for them to go and that would be to have the puck more often, but that's a pure visual thing. There's, I've got nothing behind me to to sort of suggest that. But well, here's the other issue about any potential coaching change, and I do think that they'll have to to make a change eventually. There, they limit themselves because I saw somebody tweet oh, out yeah. that Guy Carboneau met with the team for three hours, and I believe Guy's a former. Canadians coach, and what do they all have in common? They speak French. So if you're not going to open up your coaching candidacies to English... Uh, French-Canadian. You know what I mean, though? Like, 
I, I find it, yeah. I, I mean, find it amazing that they're willing to. Really, the fans like don't want best man available. They really need that press conference in, in French. That's got to happen. I mean, hey, if they want to keep doing it and, and close off their potential candidates, then so be it. Yep. And just waste the best years of Kerry Price's career. No worries. And Pacioretty. And Subban. Yes. That's true. They have a really good goalie, one of the best defensemen in the league, and they got some nice forwards there. Pacioretty's on an amazing contract. There's pieces to work with there. So, but the time time is now. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year, which is... You know, as we keep saying, it's it's unfortunate given that I think they're an okay, above-average team that got really awful goaltending. So the important thing for Bergevin to moving forward is to identify that as the root cause and not to really blow the whole operation up, maybe outside of a coaching change. This this will be a test of his mettle in regards to what he's like as a general manager. Whether he overreacts and does something crazy to try and save this year, or whether he, whether he can see that the goaltending tanked on him, um, not like he was expecting, of course, and to then try to rectify it for next year and plan for next year. Because Dale obviously really want to think about getting Price back as quickly as possible to try and save the year, but it's looking like one of those injuries where you try to avoid surgery all you can, but geez, maybe they really should have thought about cutting him open and fixing what's going on. There's, I, I, I think they're too far behind, and maybe they get a Hamburglar run in goal or something crazy like that, and they rattle off the kind of winning streak they did to start the year, but I'm not going to strongly predict that. I think they're kind of, kind of be middling the rest of the way, and you got too many teams in front of them. You're asking for a Hamburglar run. Like, how? that's so rare. Like, that's where they're at now. That's the problem. And they, they need Price back 100% healthy, not nursing his way through 80% because he's injured. It's just... I mean, even a team like Carolina is in a better spot than them right now. And they have Cam Ward. Well, I don't think they're playing him as much anymore. Funny that. They start winning. <laughs> no, Carolina's a good possession team, and their shooting percentage is starting to climb, and they're winning more games as a, as the result of that. They're 6-3-1, and one, where Montreal's 2-7-1 and one in their last 10. Just out of curiosity here, should the New York Islanders be worried at all about their season this year? Because they're underwhelmed for me in regards to where they're at. I, if I were New York, well, here's the thing with New York. They've only played 50 games, which is tied for the um, lowest in the Eastern Conference. And they're one point off the wild card. New Jersey's played three more games than them. So I don't think it's worry time. It's never nice to see you slide from being one of the top three in the division to out of the wild card. Because they're four, five, and one in their last ten. But they're still a good team. Yeah. I I've always I've always thought they should maybe move away from Capuano. 
Yeah, but I thought Dan Bilesma was the, the 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 guy for that. I thought Bilesma with the Islanders would have been. Yep, would have made them very dangerous. But um, no, I don't think it, you're at that point yet. They have good goaltending. They have two goalies that are playing well this year. They have, um, they got a good roster. I have the, this. This is sort of my point. I I think that New York Islanders team. You get them in the playoffs. You don't want to play them sort of a thing, but you don't want to get to the end of the year and suddenly be looking from the outside in. And the thing that did throw me was, you're exactly right. Jersey have got, have played three extra games. Pretty good chance that they're going to get at least two points in those three games and find themselves once again, if you look at it in regards to equal games with Jersey, they should be back in the wildcard spot at the least. So it was just, just died to me to finally see them out of that wild card spot, I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, and weird, that's... and weird seeing Pittsburgh leapfrog back into a non wild card spot, actually in the you know a spot in the division. Yeah, yeah, and, that's, the, that's and the Islanders have the Oilers and Columbus the next two games. So you know, if they strength wanna... of schedule is actually going to be really interesting down the stretch, isn't it? Yeah, for a team like Pittsburgh, they they got a ton of divisional games, which and with the can way, be good or bad. With the way Pittsburgh are playing at the moment, uh, even with the the death of depth, I think that that's still good that they've got all those games against their division rivals. They haven't even played the Rangers. Um, they'll get Malcolm back. No. It's you so know, as a, as a Penguins fan, looking at this purely from a Penguins point of view, I would love to see Pittsburgh play the Rangers, beat them all those times, and just watch the Rangers slide their way out of the playoffs. That won't happen, of course, but it just would have been nice to have seen. Um, I guess we can fit in one more thing quickly. Did you want to talk about Weidman? Yeah, let's do that. What do you, where do you think it's going to end up? He's at 20 as an appeal. Where do you think they're going to settle? I'm not looking at it so much as what the actual game total is going to be at the end of this, because I think there's going to be an independent arbitrator, and I believe the NHLPA is bringing concussion evidence to the next meeting about this, or appeal. I think I'm looking at this in in a larger scope, of clearly Weidman was blasted right before the play. There's no logical reason for him to strike the official like that, let alone a linesman. Like, what could the linesman have done to make him that mad? The one thing a linesman can screw up is the offsides call, and now that's even reviewable. He he was just an angry, angry man, wasn't he? So, one, I don't believe Weidman knew what the heck he was doing. Uh, The bigger problem with this situation is that he kept playing when it was obvious that there's supposedly concussion spotters which are completely failing at their job and the Calgary Flames staff did not keep him out right yeah so by the staff not taking care of business or the concussion spotter not taking care of business the proper way with that the NHL, with this concussion lawsuit coming down the pipe, cannot admit the wrongdoings of how they handled that concussion and giving Weidman that out. 
when really, yeah, he was concussed. I think that's exactly why he, you know, misinterpreted the referee as something hit. And, you know, the league had to pretend like a concussion didn't happen and suspend him 20 games. It's it's a really bad situation. It's it's funny for me because the Calgary Flame staff asked Weidman if he was okay and he said yes. Now, Aaron Eckblad got whacked, went off, did the protocol, passed, came back out of the ice, then he's games after the game. Latang, every time he gets whacked in the head and it looks half serious, he always goes to the quiet room to have his protocol done. Always. For the obvious reasons with his history, right? So he could still come back onto the ice and be fine. Because it's just the way concussions work. Like you can be dazed and confused on at the time and be a mess you you record for the rest of the game. Never have an issue again the rest of your life. Or you can be like a lot of the players passing their tests on on the spot after it's happened and then they're getting their headaches and the dizzy spells and the migraines and all those sorts of things 24 and 48 hours later. So all Calgary had to do was just take Weidman out the back. That was all they had to do because there was no call on the ice. No official saw it. I don't think there was a penalty on the play was there. I, I, I can't remember that much. But nobody saw it because it was so bizarrely out of the way it's like just take him out of the back do the protocol don't ask him if he needs to go take him everybody who saw the hit and then looked away thought he got conked and then everyone paid attention after that with the 65 million replays of what went on so the fact that the nhl hasn't got every team running to the same protocol processes shows you how little they actually take the concussion thing seriously. They just don't. Yeah, it's, like I said, not a good situation. The NHL and the team bungled it. Then they can't admit to it, so then they have to punish the player. And then you open up the whole can of worms, well, if you let Weidman blame it on a concussion, then everybody that does something... There's precedence, yeah, yeah. So it will be interesting to follow. But I don't have many more opinions on it other than it's a bad situation. uh, I just find it amusing that they've given him 20 games straight up for a shot that wasn't given to the head, right? And we have seen some disastrous hits to players' heads who only get three or four games. So it's like they've set to young football that the drop it um anything else on this no i'm done ranting and to be honest i probably should go to bed okay um the only the only i'll add one more thing i forgot to Uh to to throw a congratulations to uh crosby 900th career point fastest um, tenth fastest player ever to do it over the course of history, but he is now the fastest active player to do it, surpassing the great Yarmir Yager. It's not a bad effort. So he got 900, 901, 902. 
Um, yeah, I thought that was uh, deserved some kudos. And then uh, Stephen Birch just put something on Twitter that ties into our earlier Eric Carlson discussion. And he said Eric Carlson is on pace for 105 era-adjusted points after last night. Paul Coffey's career high was 108 era-adjusted points in 1985-86. He said 85-86 was the year that Paul Coffey obviously played with Wayne Gretzky, who posted a 215-point (laughs) single-season record for points. Uh, Just to put it into perspective of how great... um, his year has been. So Gretzky finished with 215 points that year. Coffee was second on the Oilers with 138. That's a gap of 77 points. And uh, Carlson currently has 14 more points than the second-ranked scorer on the Senators, Bobby Ryan. So he's basically what all that means. Eric Carlson is putting up mid-80s Paul Coffey-like offense without Wayne Gretzky on his team. Well, didn't Wayne Gretzky actually try to coach his current sentiment? <laughs> yeah, tourists, right? No? Yeah. Correct. It's just funny how it all loops around. Okay. Well, I got no more fancy uh, I think, stats that I, I forgot to throw in. That is chopping up something correct, and you're turning into a robot, and apparently I'm turning into a robot on you. Yeah, so connection issues. We're going to pull the plug. Um, review us on iTunes and visit us on Twitter with any feedback you may have. And um, enjoy the Super Bowl. Yes, enjoy the Super Bowl. Don't care who wins. Close game. All I care no. about. So, all right, <laughs> till next time.